following is a message at Living Savior Church in Asheville and Hendersonville, North Carolina. To learn more, go to lsavior.org. Dear sisters and brothers in Jesus Christ, our Savior, the one who has redeemed us from sin and death and rescued us for life. Stockade Annie had two great loves in her life. Her first was a, a doctor and a minister, her husband, thankfully. And the other was a military installation known as Fort Campbell. As fate would have it, her husband would die on the very property that would become her next great love. But there's a whole lot more to that love story than that. See, as the eviction notices piled up, right upon the death of her husband, Annie was evicted from her family's homestead property. If there was ever a moment that you would understand a woman's bitterness, to lose your husband and your family property almost instantaneously, that would be one of those things you would go, yeah, okay, I get it. <laughs> right? And while it knocked Annie down for a while, eventually she rebounded and she responded in a way that was almost unpredictable. Annie set her heart to being the best friend that that base had ever seen. It was really remarkable. Evicting Annie was easy. Getting rid of her wasn't. For the next two and a half decades of her life, Annie set her heart to visiting those who were in the stocks or who had found themselves sick or in prison for something they had done. That's how she got the nickname Stockade Annie, relentlessly visiting those who had somehow or another found themselves in some kind of peril. It was a remarkable change for someone who stood on her front porch with a shotgun chasing surveyors off of her property, swearing that there's no way that they're ever going to get this land, to being a woman who had an unhindered access pass granted by and signed by every general who ever served at Fort Campbell. It was a remarkable change of heart for this woman. But see, when there's an aching heart, the result of that can be a beautiful thing. But never more beautiful than when God's heart ached for you. Did you hear that in the gospel lesson? I'll read the first couple of verses again. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That word there that's translated compassion, it has, a, it has an interesting flavor in the original Greek language. It really means like the seat of the emotion. It's, it's as if Jesus is saying his heart ached. And his heart ached when he saw what he saw and what he looked out over those towns and villages. What did he see? He saw sheep without a shepherd. He saw sheep, his beloved sheep, harassed and helpless. Again, the Greek language has this interesting flair with that. That word harassed, it comes from a root word which means to flay or to skin. 
Imagine kind of like what a, a, a hunter might do when he harvests the hide of an animal. Think then about what is Jesus saying about those when he looked out over those towns and villages. What was he seeing with his divine eyes? He was seeing consciences that were raw with guilt. He was seeing people that had been harassed, people who had, who had been made to feel guilty about their sin, people who, who had heard only bad news, people who heard law upon law, people who needed to be shepherded, people who needed to be told of the love of God, but all they heard were guilt and shame and more law upon more law. They were harassed and helpless. A word which has this sense of being cast aside with like a mortal wound, left for dead. That's what he saw. With his divine eyes, Jesus looks out over those towns and villages and he sees people who were raw with guilt and shame and pain and left for dead by the people who were told to care for them. That's what Jesus saw. It was a world in which, which Jesus saw lepers whose decaying bodies on the outside didn't bother them nearly as much as the decay and the rot that was going on inside of them. It was a world in which Jesus saw people walking around with healthy limbs but broken hearts and broken lives and his heart aches for them. His heart aches for them and so he draws closer to them. Like Stockade Annie, he draws closer to them. He draws closer to them by telling them that he had been the promised Messiah, the one who had been sent in the world to heal their hearts. He draws closer to them by telling them that he saw their raw consciences, but he had come to be the sacrifice that would forgive those sins. He drew closer to them by promising them that by his death on a cross, those those flayed consciences would be soothed and sutured and those mortally wounded souls that had been cast aside and left for dead would instead be given eternal life. Jesus draws closer to them because he loved them and he wanted them to know of his grace and his forgiveness and his salvation because his heart ached for them. But did you notice what Jesus did next? Then Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. In the aching of his heart, he turns to his disciples and he says to them, the harvest is plentiful. It's almost as if you can hear Jesus begging them to see the same thing that he saw, flayed consciences, mortally wounded souls, begging them to see that this, this harvest is plentiful and that without the gospel intervention in their lives, they're going to be lost for an eternity in hell. How could their hearts not ache, right? How could their hearts not ache for those souls? How can our hearts not ache? The description of the towns and villages of Jesus' day aren't that different from our community. Maybe our families. Maybe your own situation today. You all know people that are hurting. 
You all know people that are covering up shame and guilt with addictions. You all know people whose families are being torn apart at the seams because of something that was said or done that can't be unsaid or undone. You hear cries of inequality, cries for justice in our communities, and you see this in not just our community, maybe in your own church, maybe in your own family, or in your own heart. And you hear Jesus say, the harvest is plentiful. It's just as true today as it was 2,000 years ago when Jesus said it, the harvest is plentiful. Ah, but the workers, right? The workers are few. July is a, it's an interesting month for us, and it's a really, it's an exciting month. Because in the month of July, the majority of the pastors that have finished their education at Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary, and they've graduated, they've received their calls, it's in the month of the July that the vast majority of them are installed into their ministries. This year, 43 men, 43 men who have the heart and the desire, the aching heart for the gospel, the desire to serve God's people as shepherds tending to their sheep. 43 men that have been assigned into exotic places like Orleans, Ontario. You might know that guy. In places maybe that you've never heard of, like Red Deer or Wetaskiwin, Canada. 43 men that really are the answer to so many of God's people's prayers. And we thank God for all of them. But 43 men in a world of 7 billion that is growing more and more ungodly every day. Surely there must be more. So what do we do? You heard Jesus, right? Jesus said, ask. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. If you come to my office at Michigan Lutheran Seminary, which all of you are welcome to come, they'll come at the same time, but all of you are welcome to come, please do. I found out today there's three of our own students that haven't been in my office, which is a good thing, maybe. But also, maybe it's a good thing because they can come in and, and as you enter my office and you look, you'll see my desk and a bookshelf. And above that bookshelf, I have those words printed there. I had a friend of mine put them up shortly after my installation because I wanted to be reminded that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So therefore, ask that every day that I walk into my office... I can see that saying and be reminded that this is what the Lord has called me to do in his public ministry, to encourage and equip the next generation of gospel workers to go out in those harvest fields. But it's that simple word, ask, that I so often forget. The Lord asks for my prayers. Not because he needs them. Not because he needs me in this public ministry of the gospel. Heaven forbid. He has angels that are longing to do his bidding. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need your pastor. But he's planned it that way. And he's called us to do that work. And he asks us to ask him for more. When was the last time you did that? It's not hard, right? It's not hard at all. And the need is there. 
after graduation this year and after those 43 men were assigned into congregations and ministries across the world, there's still over 140 vacancies in our church body. It's about an 11% vacancy rate. And the Lord simply asks us to ask him. Can we do that now? Will you join me in prayer? Lord of the harvest, Savior of souls, send workers out into the fields to gather in those who are lost, those who are hurting, those who do not yet know of the salvation that is theirs by faith in Jesus Christ. Raise up the next generation of gospel workers so that your name may continue to be proclaimed and your gospel preached to the ends of the earth that all may know of your love. In Jesus, we pray. Amen. You know what happened next? So Jesus looks out over the towns and villages with the divine eyes. He sees flayed consciences. He sees mortally wounded souls. He talks to his disciples. He begs them to have the same eyes. And he asks them to ask him to ask God for more workers. And then chapter 10, verse 1, he sends them out with power to drive out demons and heal diseases. The disciples were the answer to their own prayers. I wonder if they knew that if they would have prayed it. I wonder if they knew that by asking the Lord to send out workers in the harvest field, if, if they knew that they were going to be the answer to their prayer, and then by that answer of their prayer, they were going to live a life of poverty and persecution, would they have said, Lord, send out workers into the harvest field? I wonder if they knew that 11 of the 12 of them that prayed, would their, the, the disciples would, would find their end of their life by martyrdom because of the name of Christ, would they still have said, Here, my Lord, send me, send me. I don't know. But I wonder if you would have. Or if I would have if I knew that asking the Lord to send out workers into a harvest field meant that the child that is sitting next to me or in my lap or grandchild that I love so dearly might be called into the public ministry of the gospel. And that might mean then that they live three states away, five states away from where they grew up. If I knew that my child then would live a distance away because that's where the Lord had called them to serve as a pastor or a teacher, I wonder then if, if I'd be willing to be like Hannah who gave her child, the Lord said, Lord, it's your child before he's mine. I wonder if I knew that when that child was called to the public ministry of the gospel that it meant that at Christmas and at Easter and at Thanksgiving they may not be able to come back to you because they had a congregation that they had been called to serve. A family they're privileged to share the gospel with, but that means that their holidays might not be able to be spent with you. Would you still say, Lord, the harvest is plentiful, and the workers, they're few. So send out those workers in the harvest field. Think about the people that Jesus called in the public ministry. They don't have to be the most social person in the world. They don't have to be the most intelligent person in the world, right? Sorry. 
They have to have a heart, right? An aching heart for the gospel and for those that are lost without it. Think about who Jesus called in the public ministry of the gospel, right? The gospel writer Matthew, the words of whom we're focused on today, the words that have been encouraging to God's people since the day they were written, the extortionist tax collector Matthew seems like a prime candidate for the public ministry of the gospel, right? How about James and John, the disciples' brothers who argued in front of Jesus which one of them was the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, right? Thomas, you know him better as Doubting Thomas, the one who doubted the very central message of Christianity, that Christ had indeed been raised from the dead. Yeah, that's the guy I want as my pastor, right? Or Judas, the one who betrayed him. Peter, who often spoke before he thought. These are the men that God entrusted the holy ministry to. Sinful, unholy men proclaiming a precious gospel of life and salvation. It's a special thing, this holy ministry. But it's a challenging thing at times too, as you heard in our second lesson today. At times it sends you into places that maybe you don't want to be. At times it sends you running to places you'd rather run away from. It sets you up against people who boast. It puts you in rooms where people are dying. It puts you in offices where people despise the word but need to hear it most. But it puts you, this holy ministry puts you in those places because it sends you there with God's word. The only thing that can truly change people's hearts. And that's why it's called this holy ministry. Stockade Annie, she, she passed away on September 26, 1969, at the age of 96. And they say when she died, all of her earthly possessions were contained in four cardboard boxes. That's not what mattered to her. What mattered more was the opportunities that she had been given to serve those who were serving our country. Her heart ached for them. And so when she died, even though she had no military experience, no military training, when she died, they buried her with full military honors. Her memory lives on at the Donald S. Pratt Military Museum outside of Clarksville, Tennessee, right outside of Fort Campbell, the, the land that was her family's homestead property. And it says in that military museum, it says that she may have lost her land, but she ended up owning that base. I don't know if there's ever going to be a corner of a museum that's dedicated to your honor someday. I know there won't be for mine, nor should there be. But I do know this. That when I get to heaven and I see the people that I've been privileged to serve with the gospel, not because I said it so well, or said it differently than anybody else, but because God promised His Spirit to work through those means of grace to comfort flayed consciences and to soothe those mortally wounded souls. When I get to heaven and I get to stand shoulder to shoulder with those people and sing the praises of our Savior who died and is alive again, and therefore we are as well, nothing else will matter. That's the privilege. That's why we call it this holy 
ministry. And the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. So brothers and sisters in Christ, ask. Ask that the Lord of the harvest would send out more workers into his harvest field. Amen.